So uh, we're in a series in the book of Exodus. We've been following the people of Israel through the wilderness wandering. And so God liberated uh, his people out of Egypt. And instead of bringing them right into the promised land, he took them 40 years in the desert uh, to wander and to learn and to grow. And today we sort of come full circle. Uh, Today is a little bit of the climax of the book of Exodus. Uh, Because uh, here they are, they, they have found themselves, the people of Israel, at Mount Sinai. And you remember way back at the beginning in chapter 3, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he said, I'm going to liberate my people out of Egypt. And he said, you will worship me on this mountain. Well, the people of Israel are now at that mountain. They have been brought to the place where God promised them he was going to bring them. And so it's a high point, the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments there at Mount Sinai. This is really the pinnacle of the book of Exodus. But I think for many of us, this is not a pinnacle, this is not a a high point. When we think about the law, when we think about the Ten Commandments, this almost seems like a low point, maybe to many of us. Because a lot of us, when we think about the Ten Commandments, an image comes to our mind, kind of an ominous image, uh, maybe a dark, stern, you know, you think about Moses and Charlton Heston, uh, you know, thundering the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai and the people of Israel trembling in fear at the bottom of the mountain. You know, you think about the giving of the law, and uh, you think about, you know, modern people, if you think about uh, the, our, the modern people modern people, and the narrative that we kind of live by, you know, law is, is not a very popular thing. You know, our cu- culture tells us, give yourself to no external authority except for your own individual will. And I think the mandate in our culture is do what is right in your own eyes, right? Do, do, what is right for, or, 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 or do what is right for yourself. You know, you determine what's right or wrong. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, don't let anybody tell you how to live. Well, this fly, you know, law flies right in the face of that baseline narrative of our culture. But even if you're a Christian, you think about law, you, a lot of us think about law as the opposite of grace. When we think about God's law, we almost think of it as the opposite of God's love, of God's grace. And this is because many of us grew up in churches that were very legalistic. You know, maybe every Sunday you've heard, you know, you got a long set of things to do and a long list of things, an even longer set of things not to do, right? And you almost felt like, you know, God wasn't pleased with you unless you kept his law. God didn't accept you unless you kept his law. God couldn't save you unless you kept his law. God didn't approve of you unless you kept his law. And you almost felt like God, there was this kind of set of unmet expectations always hanging over your life, and you felt like God was grading you, that he was always saying no to your deepest desires. You know, this is kind of the the church that you grew up in. And so you think about law, and you think, no, 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 can't we move beyond that? You know, I thought Christianity was all about grace and love, and many of you, this is the reason why you like our church, because we're a church that emphasizes God's grace Right, We talk a lot about the gospel and how God wants to forgive you and love you and no matter where you are in your journey, God accepts you and brings you in because of what Jesus did. We talk a lot about grace and for a lot of us, law and grace are opposites. Law and grace, are, they, they're almost mutually exclusive. And so you think, no, 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 no law. Let's, can, can we skip over chapter 19 through 23 and talk about something else? No. And here's the reason why. Here's what I want to show you this morning. Is that when you look at these chapters, the, the law of God, when you understand it correctly, the law of God is not the opposite of God's grace. The law is an extension of God's grace. The law of God is not, it's not, the Ten Commandments, they are not the opposite of God's love. They are an expression of God's love. 
It's not like there's the law back here in the Old Testament and love in the New Testament, Jesus. God's love and God's, gra- uh, and God's law go together. God's law is an expression of God's grace to you and me. And that's what I want to show you this morning. And I want to do it by looking at chapter 19 because in chapter 19, what Moses does what God does through Moses is he tells, before he even gives them the law, before he even thunders the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, he tells them why he gives them the law in the first place. So before he even gives them the law, he says, here, I want to tell you why I'm giving this to you. And it's not to save us. You know, God never gave the law to save us because here's how we know. God gives the law to people that have already been saved. The people of Israel were already liberated. They're already uh, beloved as God's people. They've already been rescued out of slavery. They're already fully accepted children of God. God didn't give them the law to save them. They've already been saved. They're already accepted. So why did God give them the law in the first place? Well, we're gonna look at that in this passage. And I wanna give you three reasons why God gave the law. I think we see that God's law is an extension of God's grace and love when we see the three reasons why God gave the law in the first place. Number one, God gave the law to lead his people into freedom. God gave the law to lead his people into his love. And God gave the law to lead people into beauty. So why did God give the law? Freedom, love, and beauty. God's law is an extension of his grace and his love. It's a gift. It's a good thing. We're gonna see that this morning. And so, uh, why did God give the law? First of all, God gave the law to lead his people into freedom. Now, I want you to see here in uh, chapter 20, verse 1. uh, Before God even gives the law, here's what it says. It says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you out of of the house of slavery. And so the giving of the law, it comes in the context of freed slaves, Right, the, 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 the law of God is all about freedom. It's given to people that have been liberated from slavery. And God liberated his people. He took them out of Egypt, right? He took them out of slavery. And the question is, what does God lead them into? Right, they're out of slavery, but what does God lead his people into? Well, the answer is God leads his people into his law. You know, what does freedom look like? What does a freed people even look like? Well, God says freed people look like a people that are living under the limits of God's law. God's law is the the limits that lead to freedom. Now, I think this is hard for us to understand because the way we understand freedom is the absence of all limits, right? I create my own reality. I do whatever I want. You know, I I can choose whatever is right or wrong for me. I want to express myself the way I want to. And any limit, any barrier to that is a, is a limit to my freedom, right? We, we define freedom as the absence of all limits, but the, the biblical definition of freedom is not the absence of all limits, but the presence of the right limits, right? The law, the, these 10 commandments are the limits that lead to your freedom. They're the right limits. And when you live under God's law, you find yourself liberated. Now, I want you to think about a fish. And I know I give this example a lot, but I think it's a really good one, so I will unapologetically give it again. Uh, A a fish finds its freedom within the limits of the water. You take the fish out of the water, oh, you liberate it out of the water, it is not free, it's gonna dry up and die. 
but you put the fish back into the limits of the pond and it's, it's firing in all capacities, you know, all of its energy returns and it darts off because the fish was made to live in the water and it finds its freedoms with, freedom within those limits, within the limits of the pond. Or think about jazz, if you're a jazz, uh, if you're a fan of jazz. Uh, you know, jazz, it, it looks so free, right? You know, you see somebody playing a, a piece of, of jazz music and they're free and they're flowing. You know, I went to a concert at Brown Chapel last week at Lyon College and uh, there was this woman and she was playing a, a classical piece uh, in a jazz rendition and her eyes were closed and she was pounding on the piano and she was just, it seemed like she was just, you know, uh, just letting it all hang out. It sounded amazing. You know, but jazz is not the absence of all rules, Right, jazz is beautiful because they, the, she, she's playing within the limits of the scales. Right, and so there, uh, there is freedom found within the right limits. And, so, and that's what the law is. The law is the limits that lead to your freedom. Now, why is that? Why is the law a limit that leads to your freedom? It's because what is the law? What is God's law? God's law is not an arbitrary set of rules. God's law is a reflection of God's very own nature and character. That's what the law is. And so when the law says do not lie, it's because God doesn't lie. It's because God is a God of integrity, because God is a God of truth. The law is a reflection of God's very own character. That's what it is. And you are made in the image of God. No, you are made to reflect God. And so when you live within the limits of God's law, you live into your creation, your very creation. You live within, in, into the limits that you were built for. And you find your freedom there. And when you, you go against the law, you go against the fabric of your very own creation. You were made in the image of God, and you were meant to live within the limits of your creation. You go against that, uh, you see destruction, you go against your own character, your own nature. When I was younger, I used to love to eat raw cookie dough. Anybody else like to do that? Uh, Pillsbury, the little cylindrical tubes. And when I was young, my mom used to give me little pieces of this cookie dough. Uh, just limited amounts, you know, just so I wouldn't get sick. And I, oh, I loved it. You know, I would pound that stuff. And, but she'd always just give me a little bit, no matter how much I asked for more. When I got older, I graduated from high school. I went off to college and I got some freedom. And I was walking through the, the grocery store one day, and I saw a tube of that cookie dough. And I thought to myself, I'm going to buy that and eat as much as I want. And so I did. I went home, I sat in front of the TV, and I just ate three quarters of a, of a tube of raw cookie dough. Listen, your body was not meant to ingest three quarters of a tube of raw cookie dough. And when you do that, that is not an expression of your freedom. Right, it's not an expression of your freedom, it's a denial of your freedom because your body was not meant to ingest that much cookie dough. You weren't built for that. You weren't made for that. Uh, and when you do that, it's, it's, uh, it's a bellyache, it's, it's vomiting, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's not freedom. And when you transgress the law of God, when you, when you fail, when you, when you don't live within the limits of your creation, your life begins to unravel. Your life becomes to, begins to fall apart. You actually lose your freedom because you were built to, to live within the limits of that law. And when I do counseling, I, you know, I'm a pastor, right? So I do counseling all the time. And, and without fail, you know, people come to me and, and usually they come to me when their lives are falling apart. They feel trapped. Their, their, their lives are miserable. And, and you begin to probe, why is that? Well, it's because maybe they've, they, ha they have committed adultery. 
or they have been, they've been lying and cheating at work, or they haven't been keeping the Sabbath, or, or whatever it is, you know, they've, they've violated God's law, and, and as a result of that, they have lost their freedom because they've transgressed the fabric of their creation. God's law leads us into freedom. This is why it's a gift. These are the limits that you were built for. Second of all, uh, God's law, is, uh, not only does, it, does the law lead us into freedom, it also leads us into God's love. God's law leads God's people into God's love. Now, uh, what, what you need to see about the Ten Commandments is how personal they are. Uh, th- these, are these, these laws are relational. And they're given within the context of a covenant relationship with God. And so the people of Israel, they've been saved from Egypt, they've been liberated, and God says, I bore you out on, the, on eagles' wings, and I've made you my children. I am now your father. These, the Ten Commandments, these are the laws that come out of the heart of Father God. They are not arbitrary, and they're not impersonal. And I want you to see, like, look at the beginning before God gives the law. He says this in verse 2, uh, chapter 20. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He doesn't say, I am the Lord, the God. I am the Lord, you know, the great being out there, you know, the Lord, the God. He doesn't say that. He says, I am the Lord, your God. I am your father. I am, I am not a, a, an impersonal force out there. These laws are, are the laws of a parent. They're absolutely personal. And when you keep the law, you, you live into God's love. Right, the laws are a way to understand God's love for you better, and they're also a way to learn how to love God the way he wants to be loved. You know, in the story, God says, look, I've listened to your heart, I've listened to your cry, and I've liberated you out of Egypt. And he says, now I want you to hear my heart. Now I want, you, now, now I want to let you into my heart, and I want you to learn how to, to listen to the deepest desires of my heart. And the law is, is God's telling us, this is how you love me. This is how you live into my love. This is how you please me. And God even says as much in, chapter, uh, in verse 6 of chapter uh, 20. He says, but showing steadfast love to thousands and those who love me and keep my commandments. He says, how do you love me? You love me by keeping my commandments. This is the way to my heart. And didn't Jesus say this in the New Testament? Jesus looked out at his disciples and he says, if you love me, what? If you love me, keep my commandments. And then 1 John, there's a place in 1 John where he says, uh, the, the person who lives in the love of God, the person who's living in intimacy with God, the person who really knows God, keeps God's commandments. And so the commandments are, are God saying, this is how you love me. This is, this is how you, you learn how to um, live into a relationship with me. The law is not the opposite of love. They are an expression of God, God's love for us, but also of our love to him. They're not objective. I mean, they're not um, impersonal or random. These are the rules of a father. God's heart is in them. Uh, the other, uh, I'll be vulnerable here. Um, the other day I got a traffic ticket uh, here in Batesville. And uh, I've, gotten a f- I've gotten a few here in Batesville, actually. And, um, <clears throat> but I'm getting better. I got just one last year. <laughs> But anyway, um, I, this, the, the policeman stopped me and I, you know, was broke, broke the law of the land. And, and the thing is, the police officer didn't come up to the side of my car and say, how could you do this to me? How did you, oh, I can't believe, he wasn't weeping, you know, and saying that. It was very objective. 
He came up to the side of my car and he said, do you know what the speed limit was? And I said, yes, it was 40. He said, do you know how fast you were going? I said, yes, 130. And he said, and then he, he wrote me a ticket and he even said, have a nice day. Very objective, very impersonal. But the law of God is not like that. It's totally different. These are the laws of a father. And they're not arbitrary. They reflect God's own very character. And therefore, they reflect your very character. And God says, look, I want what's best for you, and I know these laws are what's best for you. And if you love me, if you love yourself, you'll keep these commandments. God's law leads us into God's love. They, we, they bring us into his heart. They're a way to show us how to be close to God. You know, if you look in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be close to God, where would you go? Anybody know? Church? You go to the temple in the Old Testament. That's where God was. That you wanted to meet with God, you'd go to the temple. And the temple, when you went to the, the outer court, you know, this, this outer place, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, anybody could go there, but if you really wanted to get into the heart of God, you'd go to, where would you go? There was the inner court, the inner sanctum, the holy of holies. This is where the presence of God dwelt. Then if you went into the inner sanctum, if you went to that place where God was, what did you find there? What was in the holy of holies? The Ark of the Covenant, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you've seen it. The, the big uh, rectangular box, it was made out of gold. And this was the sign of God's presence. This is where God's holy, you know, uh, personal presence dwelt. And then if you opened up the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, what was in there? The Ten Commandments. It's almost like God is saying, if you want to know the way to my heart, if you want to know my deepest desires, if you want to be close to me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Because when you keep God's commandments, it shows that you trust him. I mean, the Ten Commandments are all about love and trust, aren't they? I mean, anytime you obey a parent, it shows that you trust them. And you parents know what I'm talking about. This is why when your child, when they disobey your rules, it's absolutely personal and it hurts you, right? Because it shows they just don't trust that your rules are good. Right, I'm, I'm trying to teach my, my oldest right now that screens are not good to look at 24-7, right? And so I'm, I, I, there's limited screen time, and, and just one day a week uh, you can play a, a video game, and he, uh, he's, he, he's so frustrated about this. And he looks at me disdainfully every time I say no. And it hurts me because it show, you just don't, Samuel, trust me, buddy. I know what's best for you. My laws are good. I'm not holding out on you. And God says, if you trust me, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The, the law leads us into God's love. These come from a heart of a father. They lead us into freedom, number one. They lead us into God's love, number two. They're all about love and trust. God knows what's best for you. He created you. What else do they lead us into? The, the Ten Commandments also finally lead us into God's beauty. The Ten Commandments are all about God's beauty. Now notice uh, way back in, in, well not way back, just <laughs> back one chapter back, uh, in <laughs> chapter 19, verse six, uh, God says, listen, he says, here's why I'm giving you the Ten Commandments. He says, Here, here's, here's what they're for. This is what I'm doing when I'm asking you to obey the Ten Commandments. In verse six, he says, I'm, I want you, he says, you, he says, when you obey them, Actually, let's go back to verse five. Uh, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, he said, you shall be a treasured possession among all the peoples of the earth. 
And then in verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God says, here's why I'm giving you the Ten Commandments. I want to make you a treasured possession. I want to make you a kingdom of priests. He says, I want to make you a holy nation. These are all phrases of beauty. Treasured possession. He says, if you obey, you become a treasured possession. What was that? Well, in the ancient world, kings always had, uh, they had wealth. They had, they had uh, vaults of you know, treasure and gold. You know, they, they had all this wealth. And, and a king, you know, among all his, his piles of gold, he would have one treasured possession that was valued more, that was more beautiful, more valued than any other piece of gold that he had. If you've seen The Hobbit, uh, you remember Thorin, and the th- thorn had the Arkenstone. And, it, and in, the, in the, the, the mountain there with Smog, the, the dragon, and all that gold, there was that one little ruby, there was that one little stone, the Arkenstone, that was more beautiful and more precious than anything else to Thorin. It was radiant. God says, I'm giving you the law because when you obey, you become radiant. You become like the Arkenstone. You become my most valuable most beautiful possession. I want to make you beautiful. He says, and you become a kingdom of priests. What is a priest? Well, in the Old Testament, a priest is uh, somebody that, they were, they were mediators. They were people that, uh, they, they, they mediated God's presence to the people, but they also reflected God's character to the world. The priest was there to represent God. And he says, if you, I'm giving you my law because I want to form you into a people that reflect my character, that, that represent my holiness to the surrounding world. But then he goes on and he says, I, I, want, I want to make you not only a, a treasured possession uh, and a kingdom of priests, but also a holy nation. The law, when we obey God's law, when we live into God's love, he forms us into a holy nation. And what is a holy nation? Well, you know, we think of the word holy. I think holiness has, <clears throat> you know, bad press today. You know, it has the smell of mothballs about it. It has the look of, of a Victorian matron administering castor oil. Holiness. Right, you think about holiness, you think of prickly and prickliness and prudery. You think of the church lady, right, wagging her finger at you. But what is Holiness. What does it mean to be holy? Well, the word literally means to be set apart. Set apart to what? Set apart to God. To be holy is to be set apart to God. It means to be holy as God is holy. And when you think about holy, holiness, don't think about prickliness or prudery. Think about beauty. To be holy is to be beautiful. To be morally and spiritually and relationally Beautiful. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, this is what he says. Uh, He says, holiness is a most beautiful, lovely thing. Men are apt to drink in strange notions of holiness from their childhood as if it were a melancholy, morose, sour, and unpleasant thing. But there is nothing in it but what is sweet and ravishingly lovely. Holiness is the highest beauty and amiableness vastly above all other beauties because it is divine beauty. So God says, I'm giving you the law in order to make you beautiful, to make you holy, to make you, to make you someone who reflects my own beauty. 
And what Martin Luther says is that God doesn't find that which is beautiful in people. God creates that which is beautiful in people. And so you think about the people of Israel. God didn't find them holy. God found them slaves. God found them bitter and in bondage. Broken and stuck. But this is what the God of the Bible is about. Taking broken people that are in bondage and making them beautiful. Taking slaves and molding them into a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, people that reflect God's own very character, people that, that, are, that, that are precious and beautiful. God says, I want to form you into a people that reflect me in the world. This is what God's law is about. God's law, it is not a burden. God's law is an expression of God's grace because in it he's saying, I want to form you into a people that looks, look like me. And the word here, you know, in the, in the Hebrew, it's, um, you know, we think about you always in plurals, but this is, or singular, when he says, I want to make you a holy nation, the you is plural. This is a, uh, like in Arkansas. This is a y'all. Or as somebody said this morning, this is a UN's. Is that a UN? A UN's. No. Those are other people. <laughs> this is a plural, this is a holy nation. In other words, God is saying, I want to make you as a people. I want to make you as a church. I want to make us as a community, a community of people that reflect my very own beauty and character. So that the way you treat sex and money and power is different. While the world is, is, is doing, you know, oppressive things with sexuality and, and doing whatever they want with sexuality, he says, you are using it in a way that I am prescribing. And where the world is spending the money, their money however they want, he says, you are generous with your, with your wealth. And power, people want to get power and dominate, but the way you use power, you know, it needs to be different. Other people oppress aliens and outsiders. You need to welcome them in. And he says, what I want to do is make you into a character, a, a community that is beautiful, that is holy that shines like the sun. God wants to beautify us in his law. You know, there's that movie, uh, Life is Beautiful. Remember, the, anybody seen that one? And the story is of this, uh, this, man, this little family in a concentration camp in the, during the Holocaust. And I think the, the movie got its name from this man who lived a beautiful life. You know, he wants to protect his son from the, from the Nazis. He knows they're all going to die, but he says, I just, I want my son to see the beauty of life and not the ugliness. And so he puts on this game. He pretends like the camp is a, is a carnival. You seen this one? And then he does it all the way until the, the he, he marches off to his death. And he dies in the camp, and the, the, actually the rest of the family is liberated. But the kid, whenever he thinks of his dad, he thinks of this beautiful life. And a beautiful life even makes a, con a, a concentration camp livable. And we think uh, a beautiful life comes through great circumstances or lots of money or being very gifted. And God says, let me show you what a beautiful life is. It is a life molded and formed in my own holy character. That's the law. This is what I'm leading you into. 
The law <clears throat> leads us into freedom. The law leads us into love. The law leads us into a beautiful life. This is what God wants to do in us through the law. But notice here, uh, at the very end, there, there's a problem. Because notice how the people respond. I mean, the people respond appropriately. They hear this and they think, no, this is not a burden. This is beautiful. And they say, everything that, that, you, that the Lord tells us, we will do. Every single thing in the law, we will do all of it. Right, they're acknowledging, this is beautiful, this is wonderful. Yes, we want this, we will do it. But you know the story, what happens? As soon as Moses comes down the mountain, they've already broken the first commandment. No other gods before me, they have the golden calf, they've already broken it before he's even come down. And then the history of Israel is just a long repetition of them breaking the law of God over and over again. And I think if we're honest uh, we're not much different than them. Have you ever found yourself saying, yes, I know, the, I know the way that is right, I know the way that leads to freedom, yes, I know this is beautiful, and yet when I look at my own life, why is it that I have a hard time living into that over and over again? <clears throat> Last week, I took my kids to Lyon College. We, uh, we got in the stroller, we went down, to the college, we spent hours there, and by the time we were done, we were all exhausted. And uh, <clears throat> we, we went back to my house, which is all uphill, and I've got two kids, you know, pushing the stroller, and my third, my third kid says, Dad, I'm tired, I can't ride my bike anymore. And so he gets in the stroller, and we put the bike on the stroller, and we're, I'm pushing this thing up there. I'm already in a bad mood. I'm already exhausted. The kids are exhausted. And then to top it off, they start fighting in the stroller. There's like chaos going on in the stroller. And I'm, and I'm telling them to be quiet, but what are they doing? They're breaking the Ten Commandments, right? Honor thy father and mother. Violation of that, right? And they're, and they're doing this, and I get, I get mad, right? And I feel like Moses, you know, breaking the tablets, What's wrong with you kids? And so I'm getting angry, but it wasn't, it wasn't righteous indignation. Because in my anger, I, saw, I found myself breaking the Ten Commandments. Isn't there one in there about murder in your heart, right? <laughs> and so there's yelling. And there's yelling in the College Heights neighborhood. There's yelling. The kids are yelling. Dad is yelling. Um, there may have been an expletive, not from Dad, from uh, the children. If you live in the College Heights neighborhood, if you heard something, like that's what it was. It was, was an utter, complete meltdown. And then there was the guilt. Then there was the guilt, wait a minute, this is, I'm not supposed to live like this. I don't want to live like this. I'm not supposed to live like this. I don't want to live like this. I'm a pastor for goodness sakes, come on. Right, and then there's frustration and guilt, and this is, this is the way it is, isn't it? But here's what God does. Here's the good news of the gospel. Right there at the bottom of the mountain, right, right after God gives the Ten Commandments, he makes provision for breaking the Ten Commandments. Because what happens there at the bottom? They sin, and then, then uh, God tells Moses, get some, uh, some hyssop, which is like a little paintbrush, and you dip it in blood, and you splatter the people with blood. And that sounds weird to us. It wasn't for them. This is a covenant ratification ceremony. This is a sign of what it looks like to break the covenant. And God, through the blood, is, is making provision for their sin. 
And it's a picture of the New Testament when Jesus sat at the Last Supper and he said, this is, he took the cup, and what did he say? This is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of your sins. So that when you violate my law, which is my character, when you violate your very own nature and you transgress your own humanity, there's provision for you. There's forgiveness for you. Over and over and over again. And there's power for you. Because when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he wasn't just providing for forgiveness, he was giving us power to live into our freedom. And to be a Christian is to have the beautiful life of Jesus living in you, empowering you to live the life you've been created for. And so what that means is that today, as God's redeemed people, we can embrace God's law. And I want to encourage you to live into your freedom. You know, there, there, there's a lie out there that says, look, you can, you can do whatever you want. You make the rules. Give yourself to no external authority except for your own individual well. That's a lie. And it promises freedom it will lead you into bondage. And Jesus Christ said, I've made provision and I've made a way and I've given you my power, my very life, so that you could live the life you've been created for. Live into your freedom. Whatever that looks like for you today, I don't know what it looks like for you today. Maybe it has to do with sex or money or power or something else, but whatever it is, live into your freedom. Let's stand and we'll, and we'll pray that God helps us to do this. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much, God, that you've, you've, made, you've not only given us the way, the, the, the pathway to life, the, the, the way that leads to freedom, but God, in the gospel, you've made provision for us to live into that freedom. <clears throat> God, there are people here today that need your, your forgiveness. They need to know that no matter how they failed this past week, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because you've lived the life that we should have lived and you've died to death that we deserved. God, we can be forgiven. And Father, I pray that you would empower us, that you would enable us, that you would inspire us, God, to live into this life of freedom and of love and of beauty. And God, I pray that you would uh, create in us, God, an, an alternative community, God, that shines like lights in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.